Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Tech Deep Dive. I'm David Delaney with Nicholas, my loyal companion here, compatriot in the sales tech universe. Joined today by Mary Shea, PhD and co-CEO of Mediafly. I had to throw that in, Mary. How are you doing today? <laughs> well, the doctor is in. <laughs> the revenue I'm doing, doctor. Uh, I'm doing great, and I'm very, very excited to be here and speaking with you and with your audience. We're so excited to dive in. Mediafly has made so many moves lately, so many changes, bringing you on board as the co-CEO. We really want to dive in for the audience. Maybe they don't have as much familiarity with Mediafly and start at the beginning. What was the initial problem that Mediafly set out to solve? And then how did you initially get traction? Yeah, so Mediafly has been around for about 15, 16 years now. So it's a startup still, and it's gone through some different iterations, but not surprisingly, given the company's name, initially, Carson, who is my business partner, our co-CEO and founder of the company, started working with the media companies, whether it was you know NBC, Sony, others out there that are all household names that you would know, and helping them quickly bring to life their exciting stories in sales scenarios. And so that's sort of the genesis of the company. And then what's happened is that over the course of time, Mediafly really became an innovator in helping to carve out the sales enablement category. And that happened around 2015 when companies like Taudap, Yesware, Salvo, Seismic, some of the others that you would all be familiar with, maybe you've had the CEOs on the show as well, started to want to take what marketing automation had done in a one-to-many scenario and bring some of those efficiencies to the one-to-one selling scenario. So you had a collection of lots of different point solution providers out there providing these types of capabilities. And now, you know, many years later, we're looking at a very exciting landscape that we're now starting to call revenue enablement. And, you know, that's a very quick overview of where we've come from. The company I've been following for over 10 years now, first as an analyst when I was at Forrester. And it was one of the companies that, you know, when you're an analyst or your consultant or advisor, you have certain companies you kind of take under your wing. And Mediafly was one of them. I love the founder. I love the technology, but no one really knew about the company because it had taken a different path towards getting funded. And it was sort of, sort of smaller, best technology, rev tech company that I knew of that, but just didn't have, you know, the brand for everyone to be out there and know it. And subsequently, you know, the tables are turned. We've got a bunch of unicorns that are out there trying to salvage every piece of revenue they got from their last big raise because there's no more raises and no one really wants to take a down round last time I checked. You've got companies that are growing at, you know, 3% and it almost seems like brilliance that Carson decided to take a Midwest approach to funding the business back in the day. I don't know if, you know, how well planned out it was at the time, but he really took angel investment and did some institutional debt funding and now we're in a position where others are locked in and choking on their own valuations and We just got a tremendous round from our partner, BIP, which is out of Atlanta. We're growing and we're innovating like gangbusters. You know, folks, Mary was an analyst, a very distinct 
a distinguished analyst for many years. So this is great to get an overview from a high level of the industry. And, you know, how is it competing now in this space with all these established players in various state of, you know, funding and capability? Well, I just said, bring it on, baby. We're ready. (laughs) Some of our competitors and adjacents and others are paying attention. I don't think it's a normal career trajectory that a principal analyst becomes a co-CEO. Now, I will caveat that with I had significant operational experience, you know, prior to becoming an analyst at Forrester, where I, you know, led large global organizations on the revenue side. But it's not a normal trajectory. And when Carson made this move, you know, people stood up and started listening and watching. And what's really interesting is that, you know, when we were a tier two, tier three type of brand, you know, we'd be late to the RFPs. We'd, you know, force our way into the conversation. And it was very, very tough to compete with established players like a Showpad or a Seismic at the time. And now, you know, we're going head to head with the top players in the category. I also see, you know, sales enablement moving to revenue enablement. You know, back in the day, sales enablement really just looked at, you know, how do you support and ensure that your sellers get the best content at the right time to deliver it in the right way. And now when you think about how buyers buy, they're only spending 5% of their time with a seller. They're going onto your website. They're going onto Chicha Crowd. They're going downloading digital content. They're using interactive tools. And so we now are thinking of the category as revenue enablement. So not just really supporting your direct sales team, but supporting any piece of the organization or humans that interact with customers and prospects. And we're leading the charge around the emergence of that category as are a couple of other players. What struck me is some of your earlier acquisition in the field of domain were really much focused about going deep into the content, not just from an internal standpoint, but from a customer standpoint to consume the content with ROI calculators, very nice presentation. So maybe you can elaborate a bit on that aspect of the content with the spirit of enabling buyers in the new journey (laughs) where they are in the seat. Yeah, it's a wonderful question, Nicholas. And when I was an analyst at Forrester, we batted around the terminology. And when I was writing the reports, we called it sales enablement. And we were like, should we call it revenue enablement? We know it's going there, but no one's going to know what we're talking about. And then we also kicked around, you know, should we call it buyer enablement? Because in the end, that's what we're all trying to do is enable better experience for the buy side, right? And the sell side as well. So our core product, and we have a multi-product solution with a single data lake underneath it that links in and does bilateral syncs with the CRM. Our core product was what we call content enablement, content management solution. And so that solution helps sellers quickly access, modify, and deliver, and in our case, highly interactive and engaging content, and then provides the data signals back to the seller, and also even probably more importantly, to the content creators and CMO and marketers around what content resonates across the cycle with unique personas based on the company that they're with. And then, of course, we use artificial intelligence to surface up content based on where the seller is in the sales cycle. So, you know, that's the key piece of it. But I have to credit Carson with going out and acquiring, you know, he acquired Alinean back in the day, which is formed by Tom Pacello. Maybe some of you know him, his former Gartner guy as well. And gosh, you know, value 
everyone needs to sell using a value tool now because you've got procurement, you've got finance, you've got, you know, a very difficult, challenging economic environment. And then we've got intelligence, which we acquired exec vision, which was early conversation intelligence out of DC. Everyone knows Steve Richards, who he was one of the founders there. And then we acquired Insight Squared, which is revenue intelligence. And revenue intelligence is the automatic capture and uploading of the key buyer and seller behavioral activity that then feeds all the signals back to the business. What's really cool about having all of these solutions in a single data lake is that the amount and type of signals that we can gather over the course of the buying journey is absolutely astronomical and Confidentially, I'm talking to another potential partner that will allow us to also capture social engagement, which will be the external piece of content. We're mostly today we're sharing, you know, the internally created digital content. So anyway, I'm very excited and passionate about where we're going and the space writ large. Coming soon. And when folks come to you as an inbound lead, quote unquote, what part of the organization do they usually come from? And who ends up being on the buyer team? for MediaFly. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, digital natives now, the plurals, as we call them in the marketing world, now make up more than 60% of the buy side, right? So, you know, there's a lot of, without making generalizations that, that, you know, we never like to do outside of the marketing world, you know, you've got some very savvy digital natives out there and you've got folks that care about consensus-driven decision-making and who care deeply about adoption and utilization. So it's a different type of sales conversation. When we get these inbound leads, it could be revenue enablement. It could, you know, practitioner revenue enablement. It could be rev ops. It could be CMO or marketing. And it could be sales leadership. So all of those constituents and stakeholders gain tremendous benefit from partnering with a company like Mediafly. And I think as well, you are pretty deep in some industries. So a lot of provider in the space have initially focused on the tech industry, but maybe you can discuss a little bit what you do with some of the industries, how they are special and the type of challenges that comes with that from the overall content perspective. Yeah, that's such a good point. And at MediaFly, we like to say we sail our own boat. So when, you know, the competition zigs, we zags. But, <laughs> you know, I'm perfectly happy to let tech sell to other techs. So we made a strategic decision. And I hope not to divulge too much of my strategy for my competitors out there, but they probably know anyway. You know, we're happy for SMB tech to go sell to other SMB tech. And when the market dips and you know, there's going to be all kinds of drama. As you've pointed out, Nicholas, we very mindfully decided to focus on very large, complex global organizations. And we say this with love in our heart, companies that, you know, tend to be the grittier industries. And while it might not be quite as sexy as some of the other things, these organizations have massive sales forces and they have big, big needs. So, to be more specific, we work with CPG, we work with industrial manufacturing, we work with oil and gas, we work with, you know, companies that might not be the first ones that you go to sell to. And we certainly do some things with FinServe, but we leave, you know, healthcare and pharma to some of the others. We do med tech. So we tend to work with companies that sell stuff, whether it's, you know, all of the global brands that you would know and well, including some of my favorite wine and spirits, their needs are really different. So when you talk about sales and sales enablement to CPT, they almost don't know what the hell you're talking about. 
It's really about activation and trade shows and things of that nature. We also sell to companies that might have a sales force that's meeting in person. Maybe they're going to a doctor's office to or a dentist's office. And so they need stuff that they can use on their iPad or whatever their digital device is to really help show and tell the differentiating characteristics of their solution. So there's a range of things. We just did something for another customer of ours that got rave reviews. We actually provided them with a mobile app that they could deliver to all of their attendees at a massive trade show where they could do a quick demo on the mobile app, share content, and immediately get signals back on what that prospect who had just visited their booth was doing with their stuff. And so, you know, those are just a few examples of some of the exciting ways that we work with customers. And I will say, you know, we also work with big tech as well. So, you know, some of the household names that you would know and expect are our customers. So I'd like to come back to an acquisition. You, you mentioned Mediafly, uh, sorry, uh, Insight Square. Sorry, I'm confusing with the, because you're probably one of the deepest in terms of, I mean, bringing together revenue enablement and content management. Okay, there's a numbers of players, but when it comes to add revenue intelligence from activity capture, from a signal surfacing, from the forecasting with revenue enablement, there are not that many players. So can you give us the big picture perspective of that suite that you're assembling? Yeah, so we have content, right? We've got value and all of these are technology tools. And of course we have services to accompany them, but it's all technology. We've got conversation intelligence and revenue intelligence, which the analysts and we think now really have sort of one piece of the pie. I've got a few other things in the mix. You know, are we going to beat Clary in terms of forecasting head to head? Probably not, you know, and the CROs take Clary wherever they go. But where we do have a great opportunity is to provide detailed visibility and insights to every at the deal level, at the account level. So whether it's your account, your pipeline, or your forecast, you have massive signals that lets you know any moment in time what the health of the deal, the pipeline, and the forecast is, which allows you to course correct and plan effectively. So I kind of think of our solution and the intelligence specifically as more of a coaching and directional tool or something that's very easy BI tool for, you know, a revenue leader or even myself to use on a daily basis. And I'll try to keep my comments more focused on Mediafly. I keep the analyst piece of me, like sometimes it surfaces the top yeah, to push yourself. it back down. Oh, but the, I can't help myself. I'm, I want to be like, I knew that was going to happen. I was right. So I apologize to your, to your listeners. I, love, I, I think we're Listen, getting the, the passion. Good stuff. It, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's what is we welcome. Want. <laughs> I, love I guess it. the point is having been an analyst for eight years and lived and breathed this stuff day in and day out and known all the CEOs who run these companies, like I have a very specific point of view on where things are going. And so we are lining Mediafly up to be at the front of the class as the market catches up to our innovation and my vision. Interesting. And I think to Dan Gottlieb calls it the seller action hub. And it's sort of, have yeah. you ever seen the graphic where he's got all I just the- saw it. Yeah. yeah. yeah I just and- jumped off a board meeting and we shared that graphic with the board. And so we work really closely with Dan and I'm very bought in to how he's thinking about things. 
And you think about it in that way, there's the CRM and then sort of everything else. And I'm just curious about working beyond the tech bubble that we're in here in Silicon Valley, in working with all these various industries, just going back to that briefly, you're working with all these different industries. Did they all have separate needs and they want to configure it in different ways and you have to do a lot of customization or is kind of sales is sales and sales leadership is sales leadership and there's a platform that you can create to that caters beyond that i think it's more of the former less of the latter david and of course i mean sales is sales but as you work with you know the world's leading brands and every customer is like oh yeah we understand what you do mary but we're different but imagine that when you're a fortune 10 or a fortune 20 you know they're going to give you a run for the money so i will say there's certain consistencies on the tech side which is you know governance is massively important whether it's from a brand or regulatory standpoint privacy data security the level of focus and scrutiny on some of those compliance and security issues are much different when you're dealing with that type of company. You know, and as I mentioned already, you know, you think of, you know, CPG, they're thinking more of trade activation, less of selling. So the needs are similar in certain respects. But what's very unique about Mediafly is that because we are focused pretty narrowly on this ideal customer profile, as we call it, we expect to co-innovate with these customers and we do co-innovate. So they will come on to our headquarters with you know, our chief product officer, our head of CTO, myself, Carson. We'll put things up on a dashboard and we'll start innovating real time with the customer. And of course, we want to find things that are going to scale out and be a benefit to the entire client base. But there are times when you're dealing with a multi-million dollar customer where, you know, and they're a top, top brand, you're just going to deal with what they need and you're going to get it done. And so that's really a difference is that we welcome that co-innovation, whereas other companies that are trying to grow through, you know, being all things to all organizations have more of a higher velocity motion. You just get your spot on the product roadmap and you get there when you get there. And so we're constantly reviewing what we need to do for our most important customers. We look at it as like our top six customers should be the most important internal and external advocates for Mediafly. And if they're not, you know, we're doing something wrong. And so that's how we approach it, both from a product innovation standpoint and as well as from a service perspective. Makes sense. Yeah, I always kind of think in the back of my head that they're out there with dummy terminals and like green screens and stuff like that. (laughs) And they just have no idea what we're talking about out here in Silicon Valley, but it's a very... Well, this is interesting because what you're saying is really interesting because this is another thread I've been thinking on, which is, again, more with my analyst hat than as an operator right now. But you know, with all the rifts that have happened in Silicon Valley and in the tech world, and obviously it's been a gut punch for so many of us, right? We all know people who have been impacted and it's so disruptive personally and professionally. As an analyst, I'm always trained to see what the flip side, the other side of that coin is. And what the other side of that coin is, traditional industries now have a chance to acquire some incredible talent. And the smart ones are out there and doing it. And so where I spent many of my days and nights traveling around the world as a forester analyst trying to inspire folks to digitally transform their commercial and go-to-market organizations, now these legacy companies are coming right up to the point where they really want to do it. So the timing is really great. And they're getting some great talent out of the Valley, which I think is going to be interesting 
and a real accelerant for traditional businesses to start using technology to drive their businesses in more exciting ways. And we haven't even talked about generative AI. Oh, <laughs> you read my mind, Nicholas. <laughs> yeah, we got to get it in, right? Or <laughs> we'll lose a star on the Spotify grading. I know. Well, I want to talk about the map that Nicholas has behind him and how generative <laughs> AI will affect that. But that's, yeah. I love your map. That's like Jay McBain, my friend and colleague from Forrester. You, you probably know him, the channels girl. Oh my God, he yeah. this is the world. He loves this stuff. Yes. Uh, it, it's harder and harder. And these days, I think AI is evolving so rapidly that trying to, at one point, take a snapshot and attempt, because those frameworks have frankly permanently evolved. That was the genesis of it. But yeah, expand on how you see Generative AI, I'm sure you're going to say content personalization, but share with us a little bit your vision <laughs> and yeah. what you've been doing into the suite. You have an amazing vision. And we just had a session with you know some of our large clients who were talking about the use cases for the marketer, for the sales enablement professional, and for the rep. And obviously, it's we've only scratched the surface on what generative AI will do for us as business professionals and uniquely in sales. But even today... There's so much from a time-saving to an insights perspective that we can gather from it. Before I dive into the specifics, if your listeners don't know Dr. Lisa, she's Dr. Lisa Palmer, and she's one of the foremost experts on AI. She just finished her PhD or her doctorate out of a Midwest school that was exclusively focused on AI. And she said on one of my webinars, she said, if you have not reshaped your strategy since, you know, dramatically revisited your strategy, your job descriptions, your roles since November 2022, you got to rip it all up and start over again, because, you know, you're behind. And I thought that just really stuck with me around what the impact is, which means we all need to be so much more agile, because it's changing so quickly. To answer the specifics, well, I'm used, I use it all the time. Like I suffered from kind of white page freezing when I used to write. I'm a slow writer, but I'm a good writer. So now, you know, I can spin up my sections, my categories. And of course, I end up editing 80% over it, but it gets me started faster and it gets me through it faster. I almost never create my own titles anymore. I hate to say that publicly, but I also never use the 10, you know, they gave you a list of 10 titles. I never use it as it is, but it sparks, oh, let me change this word and this word. And it makes it mine and then I'm done. And there's great alliteration. It's catchy. It's clickbaity. And it's also deep. So, you know, as a content creator, it's invaluable. As a sales leader, one of the things our CPO has, our chief product officer has done is allow me to look into every single account. And with visualizations, I can see what the level of contacts are in every existing account. So I know, am I high enough? Am I low enough? Am I single threaded? Am I multiple threaded? And I can immediately see wow, you know, like we're really at risk at here without even having to go to a dashboard on the renewals or whatever, knowing that, you know, we might be at a mid-level with single thread and then I can action fixes. And then certainly, you know, there's just a range of other ways that it can continue to help and amplify what we do. The biggest thing I want to emphasize, and I'm sure your listeners know this because I'm sure they're super savvy, is like it is not taking our jobs. It's not like, you know, when the Granger catalog got on the internet in circa 1996, that all of a sudden none of the salespeople were going to have jobs. It's all about allowing us to play in the higher value areas, right? So save time. I and mean, my vision for the world of selling is you work three days a week, you're partnered with tech 
and you're more consultative than you've ever dreamed of and you make more money than you ever could. So I just wanted to get that plug in there, which is, again, it's I don't even remotely see it as a replacement. I see it as a partner in crime. It's so interesting because it seems like there's been you have all this data and there's so much noise and we've kind of gotten to the point where we've got the noise and translate that to current dashboards that are used right now. And the AI layer allows you to really take out the signals and make them actionable. That it seems like it's not sales technology with AI. It's almost like reversed of AI applied to sales technology to make it useful to the reps and the leaders. Yeah, it's really transformative and it's going to transform every aspect of all of our personal and professional lives. And of course, there are risks that come with that, which, you know, ethicists and other folks out there can talk about quite a bit. The revenue 360 model that you have, or I believe it's the product launch. When I think of revenue 360, it really takes into all the data that's being produced and the analysis and making it into something that you can really use. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dan and Gartner's been saying, you know, by 2025, X percent of selling is going to be data-driven selling, insights-driven selling, when we go to digital sales rooms and all of this kind of thing. So when you think about Revenue 360, it's just really a way of saying a holistic solution or action hub, if you like that, which I do, that allows every member of the go-to-market organization from your CRO to your post-sale individual contributor and everyone in between operate more effectively and more efficiently. And I know sometimes the efficiency gets so amplified in some of these conversations. Yes, efficiency is great, but in today's world, you have to be relevant. You have to drive urgency. You have to be personalized. You have to be knowledgeable. And so the effectiveness piece is really important. And then I think the other thing that doesn't get spoken about enough is that if all of this comes together and you're using our whole system from sharing content to talking about value to understanding what matters to the customer or where they're stuck in the process with you is that it should create a better buyer and customer experience. Because ultimately, that's what we're all here to do, create these amazing experiences and transform the professional lives of our users. And that's what we want to do. And hopefully, you know, we commercialize that in a very inspiring way too. Yep. And it comes back to the buyer experience of someone's out there, they have a problem, they need to do their 80% of research and being able to cover that. And then finally, when they get into the sales process, it's very seamless and they feel like, you know, they're getting value and they become a lifelong customer. Yeah. As a salesperson, like, you know, you probably know Latney Conant. She's probably been on your show. She calls it the dark web. Like you need to know everything that buyer has been doing, what they think about, where they're affiliated, what the last podcast was that they were on, what content they've downloaded before you have that conversation. Because when you think about it, B2B buyers, I mean, we all buy, right? We've been trained by the consumer marketplaces, the Amazons, the Ebays, the Netflix is, or, you know, the consumer experience in the marketplace so that we expect instantaneous information, personalization. I can get whatever I want anywhere in the world and I can even get it delivered to my house and it could be even, you know, a six pack of beer or whatever it is. And so now with the class of buyers that we have, the demographic of buyers, that's just expected in the business world. And so that's why it's so necessary to have the signals and the data and the insights 
so that you can engage in a way that buyers demand. Yeah, and you're at the forefront. Nicholas, what do you think? Yeah, I'm digesting. And I yeah. think from a perspective of viewers, so it's very broad suite. And maybe the answer is going to be depending on the type of clients, the industry, the size. But what do you recommend <laughs> to a new buyer? <laughs> you have this big suite. What are the steps that, from your perspective, are ideal to adopt Megafly? Yeah. So, you know, I think the first is a recognition that buyers have changed, right? So, a status quo approach to going to market is not going to reap results today. So, if you're not dealing with a top tier provider and partner like a Mediafly, your sales organization is already behind. The other thing that we haven't really talked about is the role that content now plays, and that's just a piece of our wider puzzle, in the sales process. Buyers are spending 95% of their time away from sellers, which means that you need dynamic digital content to do the selling for you when you're not in the room. And so content is becoming more and more important. As procurement and finance forces themselves into the sales process earlier and often, you've got to be able to navigate a quantitative ROI conversation with them. And as I said before, the intelligence that's gained by our system allows you to say, hey, David, thanks for reading the proposal. I want to hone right in here to talk a little bit about our delivery team. And David's like, wow, that's exactly what was gnawing away and worrying me. Well, how did I know that? Because David spent you know, 10 minutes on this one page, either because he's super interested or he didn't totally understand what we were talking about. And so that allows me to just tailor that conversation and zone right in. I don't think you can survive or thrive without it. If you want to get started, like any big initiative, change management is important. So I would say, figure out who's your committee, who's going to evaluate the partner. Make sure you get some of your loudest and biggest sales voices and marketing voices in there. The worst thing you could do is to approach this like CRM, which is, you know, the CIO and CRO goes, buys this in the corner, and then we roll it out, and then we mandate that everyone has to use it, and then no one uses it because none of the workflows make sense for how sellers go about their daily activities. So I always encourage folks to get a good committee together, bring these folks in, and let's make sure we understand what the requirements are to so gather those requirements. And then, you know, work with your vendor as a partner. Like you shouldn't have to be spending all your time figuring out what to do with AI. Come to a company like Mediafly and we'll do the heavy lifting for you and guide you and advise you in the right direction. So, and then finally, I think since tech is moving so quickly, you want to make sure that you align with the roadmap of your partner and make sure that your voice is heard and that you have an impact and you can play a role in where the company's going. So you want to align your vision with your partners. And that's giving feedback, giving ideas, working together as a team to really implement right. versus, you know, yeah. just give me the product and leave me alone. Just give me the product, give me the price and whatever. And we all yeah. know, you know, <laughs> that shelfware conversation is a very, very sad conversation to have with someone like me, you know, 12 months into the conversation, right? So, you know, you've got to have a plan to drive organic adoption. And one of the things that's so exciting about our hub is that we deliver this weekend UI, UX experience. So while other user interfaces in the rev tech space are sort of what I call Salesforce 2.0, sorry, everybody. (laughs) 
we focus on more of like that Netflix experience. Why would you want to like have fun on the weekend and then come to work? And, and you're like, oh man, this feels like CRM again. And we all know how we feel about that. So we create this really dynamic user interface that drives organic adoption. And without adoption, you don't have much. So those are a few things to think about. So important. I want to call this podcast CEO Confidential now, you know? <laughs> I know. I feel like I share too the... much. <laughs> I feel like I overshared. I'm going to get in trouble from my CMO. Well, we'll send you this and you can tell us what parts to cut out. But it's just so helpful because, you know, if you're a consumer on the outside, you look at all these different companies and they all have very distinct points of view on how they solve the problem. But I think it's hard for you know, shoppers, quote unquote, to understand, you know, what's the difference between Mediafly and X. And so this helps to organize that for them. Yeah, we've been really over-indexed on so-called workflows. In many cases, these are collection of tasks <laughs> that have been bought piecemeal. So I think building the alignment at a strategic level with key vendors of the stack is a lot most important. So... I think it's very valuable to learn about all of that. Well, thank you both so much for the opportunity. And, you know, it's a new day and we're leading the charge. And anyone wants help on how to think about the vendor landscape, I'm here. I'm always accessible. Yeah, she's still an analyst at heart, right? <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> Mary, thank you so much. We'll send them over to Mediafly and definitely to connect with you on our favorite social network platform. And we'll just thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, David. And thank you, Nicholas. It was a real pleasure. 